We are back with the second in a new series of I Saw Radio. We are a magazine documenting cities and investigating places, and I guess we also do podcasts now. In today's episode, we are speaking with Sarathi Cordova, a musician signed to one of my favourite record labels, and I'm sure many others, the famous Ninja Tune, who also have the likes of Bonobo, Wiley, and Roots Maneuver on their books. Sarathi's debut album, released last year, is an amazing, amazing piece of music, whose foundation and inspiration are the Siddhis, a group of people in India who trace their ancestry back to East Africa, and who Sarathi spent time with in India before making this album. I don't want to say too much, let the podcast do the talking as they say, so here we go. So, Sarathi, welcome. Hi. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, and we are in a very pink pod in White City. That's right. Did you notice it from a distance? I did, actually. I think what really helped is the purple, uh, well, the purple sort of lining on all the fences coming up to it as well. I was like, pink, purple, pink. Yeah. And just follow the colors, and then I just, yeah. It looks, it looks, my way in. yeah, it looks particularly colorful in the sun as well. Yeah. It? Which it's is quite nice. nice, actually, suddenly. Yeah. And, um, I understand you've been touring recently. That's right, yeah. So since, um, I think since my album came out last year in July, we've basically been touring the album pretty much ever since. Oh. And um, yeah, right now we're, like I was saying, we were on a, we're on like a weekend tour of Europe, basically. That sounds lovely. We go, yeah, it is actually quite <laughs> lovely. So we go away for the weekend, do a couple of gigs, uh, and then come back and recuperate in London and uh, go away again. So it's been good. It's been really good. Fantastic. So over the last, let's say, month, what, where have you been? Last month, so we started off, so early March, we were in the US for South by Southwest. Of course. Yeah, of course. which was great. It was a bit like Notting Hill Carnival over, yeah. over a week. So I've, it was quite full on. I've heard really good things. Yeah, it was good. Time. It was really good. And then um, we also then went to the Czech Republic and the Netherlands and... Um, that's about it I think yeah fantastic and back South by Southwest you went with quite a strong London jazz contingent you had Moses Boyd there Yusuf Kamali Night of Irations had a bit of difficulty couldn't be there I understand yeah so it was a it was a showcase for British jazz and so it was uh, like you said Moses Boyd Shabaka Hutchings uh Yusuf Kumal and United Vibrations were supposed to be there, but their visas got rejected last minute. Um, native dancer, Go Go Penguin. So it was a really nice, it was a really strong bill, I thought. And uh, it was a great night overall, you know. Um, especially because of the whole, uh, the circumstances under which we went with Yusuf Kumal and United Vibrations not getting through. I think there was this kind of sense of solidarity. And everybody was talking about it, you know, on stage, off stage. Um, and it really felt like there was a sort of tight unit of people. Uh, it felt good. Fantastic. Yeah. And so just to, for me to understand better, did they get rejected when they arrived or was it something before? They no, I think what left? happened is the day before they left, they just checked on their status of their, what's, what's called Estas, their Estas and yeah. the US visas yeah. that you need to apply for. And uh, they'd been accepted before, but they'd been rejected just the day before they were supposed to travel. So, which meant that they couldn't even appeal against the against the rejection, which was uh, it turns out only Yusuf Yusuf dies mm. uh, had his rejected and his brothers uh, Karim mm-hmm. and I'm not sure of the other brothers' name. Okay. But uh, I mean, it's one of those things where I think all of us suspect that it was because of their names mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Muslim-sounding names. Of course. 
and everybody else was allowed in yeah so one has to ask that question of course i of think course. it's a valid question to ask you know especially in the light of um, obviously what's going on there yeah um, exactly and i think um, there was also a really interesting showcase called uh, contraband which was basically uh, artists from the seven countries that had been banned just been banned before south by southwest and they somehow managed to get it together uh, it was a great showcase like it was you know people from iran syria amazing um you know it was, it was it was wicked and they were playing were they playing jazz or anything no it was just uh, whatever their music was so it was all kinds of things that's amazing but yeah and f- at the moment i think there's a lot of talk about this kind of jazz revival mm. um and the names that get mentioned a lot are tend to be sort of the american artists whether it's Kamasi mm. Washington mm. Robert Glasper experiment what was it as sort of british jazz musicians or sorry jazz musicians from britain going there and um experiencing it there i think british jazz has a point to prove and i think is a valid point to prove you know a lot of people talk about this american jazz coming coming in with this sort of all the baggage of the history of jazz you know so people who are making jazz now in the us contemporary jazz musicians have that historical sort of baggage that they need to deal with more so than british musicians or musicians who aren't from the us and they're more free to maybe try things that American jazz musicians don't feel they have the freedom to try mm, okay. potentially uh, I mean I mean this is obviously a like heavy generalization but um I do feel like there's a really strong uh, uh sense of you know people trying and experimenting in jazz in the UK and that kind of means that there's a really fresh sound coming out of here and it's an exciting time to kind of be part of that so you came to London when you were 22 23 and um Were you making jazz before this? Not really. Um I've always been interested in jazz. I've always listened to jazz before then, but I didn't think I was good enough to play jazz at that point. I was, you know, playing in a lot of indie black bands and so a blues band. And uh I came to London pretty much with that kind of goal to like learn to play jazz, you know, like learn to study jazz and play jazz. So I kind of went to music school with this whole idea of like really nailing this jazz thing. <laughs> and uh I was kind of disappointed that I went to a school that didn't really focus on jazz that much. It was more a contemporary <laughs> rock and pop school. Okay. So I I did, I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time in in my in the practice rooms just basically shedding for like 3 4 hours a day just boom boom boom. But that really helped, you know, just that focus and just being able to spend that much time on your instrument um and um eventually i think i kind of reached a point where i could i i found myself being able to do things technically speaking you know um and then slowly slowly i went to i did a masters at soas which really helped me kind of develop a a perspective on uh, on all the kind of music that i'd been listening to until then you know indian classical music jazz all kinds of other music and also helped me there was a space for me to um bring those two worlds together and not feel um not feel forced to do it and also do it in my own time and develop my own kind of sound which i would i'm i'm very appreciative of that space and that time that i had at so us yeah yeah, yeah I, well, i was at ucl just up the road by mm. many classes at us and there is this very amazing atmosphere about it as soon as you walk in and yeah. it's um special i i studied my modules there were global hip hop right. and then the cinema of mm, the Middle East and North Africa yeah and nice. it was just amazing it's uh, great I, i mean i wish i'd spent longer there to be honest because i did a <laughs> masters it was only one year long and as a masters student you don't really sort of spend that much time on campus 
um but it was great my time there i met some amazing people who i'm still in touch with and still working with and uh my professors were brilliant so yeah fantastic and so you you came to london with this desire to learn jazz mm-hmm. and be a jazz musician and what did you feel that it was about london which helped you sort of achieve this was it the people you met the places you visited so was i think yeah i think it's definitely a mix of all but i think one of the things i was sure about before i came was that i wanted to be in a in a city i didn't want to be on one of these american campuses sort of just in my own world creating music i wanted to be in a city where i could go and check out music uh in the evenings or you know go to jams and and that was exactly what london kind of did for me because at times when my music school didn't provide me with the kind of stimulation i i thought i needed i could still go out and see some of the tutors play in the evening i could go and see gigs that i always wanted to see i saw all my kind of big drum heroes play and so that wouldn't have been possible you know somewhere else i think and um yeah then i just was exposed to so much kind of music i'd never heard before from like brazilian music to cuban music and like west african music and gamelan and all this sort of stuff that i was really picking up on just trying to learn i did a lot of classes in like brazilian music i learned a lot of percussion from all over just to kind of get my hands uh, you know moving in a different way trying to understand rhythm in different forms um i studied flamenco for a couple of years on cajon and uh it was just one of those things where i was like yes i just want to learn as much as i can at this point um but i don't think again i don't think i could have done that in 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 a lot of places other than london you know i think that i think it's uh an amazing thing that um again as a student myself you 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 could really do anything anytime any day exactly. um, you know whatever interests you have um a city like london um uh, i think there are only a handful like this with the diversity and breadth of offers but um you can really do whatever you exactly, want exactly yeah i think so and what kind of places were you going to to listen to jazz um bars what clubs areas where were you going so i was in uh, well i was in music school in in ealing okay uh so i went to there was a there was a club called the boaters in in richmond which used to do like jazz on saturday nights i think and we used to go and see some of the tutors play there it was really good fun I ended up going to Ronnie's a lot, Ronnie Scott's, and see all my like big drum heroes. Like I said, um, there's a really nice spot called the Hideaway in Streatham, which is uh, another kind of gem. Um, so at the time, those were like you know. Then I'd go and see what the what the one-off gig at the Jazz Cafe or uh, the Barbican or whatever, South Bank. Or, but um, and then there were the local kind of hangs where all the music students would kind of come together at the end of the week, and just there would be these jams. and I'd go and hang out there. Um that was pretty much what I did until I kind of moved east then and then I lived in Bethel Green for a while and then that was like another world of like you know Shoreditch and Old Street and Angel and <laughs> so then I was hanging out there all the time. Of course. Yeah. And this what you just said now with this kind of the music students coming together and is there this kind of um kind of community amongst the kind of music students in London where you know they will congregate on fridays or thursdays or saturdays and just just jam really play music i mean there are a lot of jams happening and i did go to quite a few of them uh when i was in music school and like just out of music school just trying to meet more people and just trying to get get on the scene basically trying to get more gigs really at that point it was all about trying to find musicians i could you know i, I could play with so um there are a lot of jams Uh, a lot of fusion jams or jazz jams but i got i pretty soon i got very disillusioned by them as well 
because they were just very standard like virtuosic sort of showmanship <laughs> sort of jams and there wasn't any real music happening okay um until recently i kind of started up my own night last year i had a place called eclectic in south london um in lambeth and that was kind of came out of this sort of frustration of going to loads of jams and basically being disappointed every time mm-hmm. i went to a jam and it was this night which basically i was running until i just didn't have any more time to run it but uh, we used to put everybody's name in a hat and then i'd pick out three names and then you'd just play amazing so it was great it was called the hat jam <laughs> and uh, it was great, great. i loved name. it and i did it for a year uh, it was like a monthly night and the focus was on bringing people who might be playing traditional instruments or who play coming from a different backgrounds of music making who wouldn't normally go to jams mm-hmm. to come out and make them feel more comfortable about playing okay at jams so you know you try and get oud players or koto players or more tabla players or so you know all these kind of things instead of your standard jazz musician um and it did work to an extent but again like you know we talk about london being such a unique and diverse place the flip side of that is that it's also a very expensive place and it's also there's so many things happening on every night that is difficult to bring in a crowd so the night was difficult to run you know in terms financially and also just bringing in a large amount of crowd and people to come in every time but i enjoyed it for the time i was there and doing it and i'd hopefully start it up again soon when i have more time if you have more time if i have more time <laughs> yeah. and this um this idea of kind of bringing instruments which maybe fall out of the traditional jazz spectrum so you talk about the oud the tabla and this directly relates to your experience at sas yeah i think so i mean to, to a large part definitely i met a lot of people who were making music and thinking about music differently at sas you know i started questioning things like what well, i was sort of made to question things like why people make music in the first place what kind of music gets performed why does music get performed why like why do different people make music for different reasons just very basic questions you know about music and culture um and that threw up a lot of questions about context and how we make music and where we make music especially in a space like london um so i wanted to try and have this night where you know you could bring people in and they could feel comfortable in a space which didn't have any sort of predetermined role for them to play um and just create music spontaneously and like in a very democratic fashion equally together that was that was the aim and this uh, this this type of context is that what took you to pune to record the album i think so i mean so i've always been very interested in uh, like context in the sense of like creating music where it has some meaning so even when i went to um, pune obviously has 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 meaning for me because of the fact that i spent a lot of time there in my college days as well and um spending time with the siddhi musicians recording them in the places that they create music was very important so going into their homes going into just places where they would practice or where they would rehearse to make their music and record them in those spaces had a certain meaning to me that um it didn't really matter to me whether it translated into how it sounded on the album but the process of doing that was very important to the creation of the album for me and for our listeners um 
who aren't aware of the cities because yeah. like I only um, became aware of them after hearing about your album. Could mm. you tell me? Could you tell them about about them? Yeah, so the cities are a very interesting uh, community of people uh, who live in India. They're basically di- diasporic Africans who uh, emigrated all over from the eastern coast of Africa over to the mostly the western coast of India, but also in parts of uh, eastern India as well. Um, ever since the 8th century AD, basically, first as traders and merchants and uh, uh, sailors, but also then with the colonial armies of the British, the Dutch, the Portuguese, with everyone. Um, and then they've been, they've been it, Siddhi is a blanket term for anybody who's basically has any heritage from Africa. So one can't tell anymore where a particular person is from, where they can trace their exact heritage to. But it's just this blanket term for anybody who's come from Africa, which is a bit of a shame because mm-hmm. you, yeah. But <clears throat> that's what it is now. And um, they converted to Islam, and uh, so they're Sufi Muslims. Um, most most of these are Sufi Muslim, not all. And they have a very interesting musical heritage because of their, you know, because of their history. And they have these instruments um, like the malunga which is like a bowed, single-string uh, bowed instrument, which is very much like the berimbau in Brazil, or very much like a lot of Southern African bows. So one can very easily kind of see the where it came from or what, you know. And um, also their drum ensembles are um, very unique because they have these polyrhythmic drum parts. They have different parts to their drum ensembles, which is a very un-Indian thing in a way, because Indians, there's no concept of, um, well, there's a very small concept of harmony or playing multiple parts. Everybody plays in unison. You know, you sing in unison, you play in unison. But the Siddhis don't. So that kind of also harks back to an African sort of influence. Uh, A lot of their songs are uh, partly in Swahili, and they don't know what they're singing about. <laughs> wow. But it's this kind of oral tradition that's been passed down from generation to generation. And so it's very, I mean, they're, they're incredible, basically, I think. I mean, I just wanted to spend time with them to try and understand. Also, their kind of racial, uh, their racial heritage in terms of also where they stand in the racial scale of things. Because India is, can be a quite racist country. And, you know, uh, the cities are all very dark-skinned. And they're Muslims. Uh, which is like not a great combination. Being black and Muslim, uh, it's like the worst, you know, in a sense. So they. So I just wanted to spend time with and understand how they kind of viewed themselves, really. And uh, it was very interesting because they they are totally fine with who they are, and there's no question about are we Indian, are we African. They're very much Indian. You okay. Know? They speak local languages, and, and they understand that there is a certain sort of uniqueness to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, they're they're very much assimilated into into the community. And they found um, predominantly in certain areas in India. Yeah, predominantly, like I said, on the western coast, okay. um, like in Gujarat and Maharashtra, but also in Karnataka and in the east. So. They're kind of spread all over, in a sense, but uh, large uh, communities of them live on in, in Gujarat, in Karnataka. And, and this, um, them sort of identifying as Muslims um, means that they don't fall into the, the sort of the caste system, which is obviously quite prevalent in India. Yeah. But obviously, as you said, there is a certain amount of prejudice towards them. Did you feel sort of 
music is uh, a way for them to like cope with that or sort of exp- how they help experience it i think for them music is a very uh, intimate like in you know, a spiritual thing you know the, all their music is dedicated to their uh, patron sufi saint mm-hmm. baba gor so music doesn't have these kind of very overtly political or societal um references uh, it's it's um, it's all about the saint and you know all their music and even when they're talking they're talking about baba gor all the time so it was interesting to see how they kind of live and uh, perform their music all their music is is basically performed in their dargah which is their local sufi temple uh in the local sufi shrine basically um so i i, I don't know if it's if it's fair to say that they kind of use it to cope with their situation music but it, look the music definitely makes them unique and it definitely holds them up as as different from a lot of other people in india so that is kind of their card to card to kind of get away and card to card to fame even because they they've toured internationally as a troupe you know amazing yeah and they they told me about this one experience where um they got a chance to go to zanzibar so this kind of this return home to africa kind of idea and they were really excited to go they were telling me about uh, some of the younger guys were telling me about how um they were treated like rock stars completely you know, <laughs> like welcome home kind of thing and they they felt really happy to kind of you know for people to also welcome them in a sense that maybe they don't feel all the time in india as welcome and um one guy was telling me about how some one of the people in the audience he offered his daughter's hand in marriage to him and he was like yeah <laughs> could have said yes but i didn't but i didn't the religious yes, rock stars yeah. Rockstar, yeah. <laughs> but then again they say all that and then they say no but actually we can't ever, ever imagine living anywhere away from our baba gor mm-hmm. so our patron saint calls us back mm-hmm. and this is our home for us here so it's interesting that's fantastic mm. and it's it's interesting because you find sufis everywhere you know it's not endemic to one region or one country and do you feel that you know their music as as you described is 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 played in these um places of worship would they be sort of as easy translatable if they were come to england for example in sufi temples here or in uh south america for example yeah i think so like you say like i think sufism and the kind of music that sufis perform has a very uh, is something that goes across uh regional cultures and um definitely they've come here and they've performed their music and it is in fact they they the connection was so as cuz they performed it so as and that's how I first came that's of, amazing yeah so i think sufi traditions all over the world have a certain uh, thematic um similarity with you know this this certain spirituality attached to the music there's always a um there's always talk of yourself and the divine and them being the same thing or looking within and um also this idea of chanting and meditative music and that's something that i think the siddhis definitely have in their music and it's also something that a lot of siddhi music across cultures has and um when i was in iran actually um and listening to sufi music there like you said it is there are very sort of strong parallels and this very sort of hypnotic spiritual element to it and it's i think people don't know too much about sufism um especially in the kind of 
current climate now and Islam is talked about so mm. much. I think if you show sort of sort of the BNP supporters some Sufi musicians, mm. they'd be a bit shocked. Probably, I think like there's an argument there. Also, the the flip side to it is that Sufism is also being appropriated by a lot of liberals to kind of fit into this narrative of uh, Islam being a very peaceful religion. Also, you know, I think Sufism. I don't know enough about it to really comment on it. Um, but yeah, the the as as liberals or you know as people who who are you know who are who are maybe not Islamophobic basically. Um, Sufism comes always. You can always think of Sufism as this very peaceful, a uh, world music kind of you know embracing different cultures, different religions. <laughs> There's no one god. Um, whereas I'm, I mean, there are lots of different kinds of Sufi music, and not all of them are as 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 worldly as the others as well. So I think there's it, it's about just being true to what each community is really talking about and obviously not painting a general picture of anything um, but yeah you're right I think Sufi music definitely has that capacity to bring in uh, other religions as well even at the at the Sufi shrine where I went to kind of record these Siddhi musicians there were people from all you know there were Hindus there there were Christians there there were the Muslims that are at the shrine who come to offer their prayers and that's you know that's very rare for the, that doesn't happen that doesn't happen in a mosque that doesn't happen in a temple sure so sure. Sufi shrines are definitely special places I think fantastic and with the um, with the kind of instruments that were used on the album uh, are they found only amongst the Siddhi musicians yeah so the musicians uh, the Siddhi instruments are very uh, specific to them themselves basically they build all their own instruments they make them all themselves by hand so uh, nobody else uses the kind of instrumentation they do. Although there are, you know, forms of these drums all over India, but these specific drums are, um, for instance, are very specific to the Siddhis. And the Malunga that I mentioned, which is the board instrument, which is kind of their, yeah, it's, it's the most special instrument in their repertoire because it's kind of a... It's so unique, and it, there's no other instrument in India that's played that way, mm-hmm. you know. And it harks back to definite links to Africa and to the rest of the sort of Afro-diasporic community around the world. I remember showing the Malunga player uh, these YouTube videos of a Berimbau player, <laughs> just to kind of show him what, you know, and he's like, he'd seen a little bit about it. He hadn't really... I'd asked him, have you heard of the Berimbau? And he's like, ah, somebody told me something about something in Brazil. I was like, okay, <laughs> check, check this out. And he was amazed because it's exactly, even the techniques are not very different, you know. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. It'll be incredible to kind of chart the, the exchange of that because obviously there's just, you, you know, uh, it's so common that you find yeah. instruments in one part of the world and you well, find exactly. very similar in, in others and just kind of see the history of that. must be fascinating. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, and... In terms of other instruments that they use, would there be any which are, you know, familiar to kind of the casual midget listener in England? Or I mean, so they don't use that many instruments. The voices are st- is is predominantly the main instrument that they use. Um, drums, malunga, and voice. That's essentially all there is in the repertoire. So uh, a lot of the music that they sing is the same people. They they play the drum and they chant. So that's essentially the, the, the bedrock of the music. Um, so when you listen to the music, it, it'll sound... I suppose it does sound a bit like uh, a lot of 
sort of ritual ritual music you know the people are gathering in a in a in a in a, in a community or in a small group and just performing music for themselves it will sound a bit like that um and yeah i think that's that's kind of the closest link to what any lay person might be able to identify as you know yeah and so how long did you spend in how long did you spend there um sort of living with them and recording music i spent a week with them okay um and me and a photographer a friend of mine who's taken the pictures in the inlay of the of the vinyl uh we spent a week with them and just kind of shadowing them day to day and going and spending time with them in their houses and then um we couldn't actually live in the village that they live in so we would kind of commute every day a couple of hours go there spend the day come back make sure we had all the footage and you know spend the, spend the evening just making sure everything is there and um yeah it was great it was a great experience we um, met a lot of people and after the first couple of days i think you know first couple of ice breaking days but even they kind of i was trying to make them understand that the ultimate music that will be on the album will not sound like their music and i wanted them to be okay with that idea and i wanted to be able to kind of translate to them that look this is what i'm trying to do um and i wanted them to be okay with it that was very important to me so the first couple of days was just me kind of talking to them about my my background really and saying that this is what i like about what you guys do i really admire it but then i also want to not just make an album of your music i want it to be sort of my relationship to your music in a way that's kind of what the album is ultimately and um so that just took a while for for it to sink in for us to understand our roles in this kind of situation um my initial idea was to play with them um but that didn't work out because actually they aren't used to playing with musicians from outside so it was very difficult for them also to actually play so they know their music they know their repertoire but that's pretty much it you know they're not your uh, conventional musicians who might be like you know playing different styles of music and like you know <laughs> they don't play hip hop and rock and you know at the same time so it's one of those it was interesting though because then i was like okay fine you know i'll just record you and then i'll go into the studio and make the and i kind of develop these songs based on your songs is what ultimately happened and that was and did that part of the process take place back in london no so that happened in pune okay so okay. i went to record these people um in the state called gujarat mm-hmm. um southern gujarat and we spent a week there and then i went to pune and um three or four three other members of uh, of the band who basically i've been working with for a long time um they were in india at the same time so i got them to pune and we recorded the album in four days basically wow just in the studio four days just smashed it out basically and uh, it was great i think it was the first i mean it was the first time we were playing these songs mm-hmm. and a lot of them are very improvised and just edited down to sound a bit more like songs basically but uh it was just a it was like a yeah it was just a mirror into our four day session and that that's what became the album and there is a, you, you definitely feel that when listening to it, you do feel that it there is this very sort of ad hoc almost mm, it's yeah. very just kind of you guys just playing yeah it is i mean it was that was the my emphasis was always um i don't give much musical direction in terms of what notes to play but i always talk about it being spontaneous and it's all for me it's always about creating an environment where people feel uh safe enough to take risks you know and those risks never being wrong 
So when you know the musicians well enough and you know their strengths, it's about just pushing them to kind of give it their most. Um, and I knew that if everybody, the people involved were all people I'd worked with before and who I really like admired musically. Um, so I was like, well, it can't go wrong then. Really. <laughs> like, I mean, if these guys are on the album, you know, it should be all right. Uh, even people like Shabaka who kind of recorded a couple of tracks on it. I mean, I knew like he'd get it. And so we did like a couple of takes on each song and that was it. You know? That's all that was needed. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm just kind of going through the stages of this album. Mm. So after you were in Pune, yeah. um, what happened after that? So I came back to London and recorded a few other sessions here. Because, for instance, Shabaka wasn't in Pune. So I came back and did some overdubs, did things like that. Um, one of my friends who's a South African bow player called Kara Stacy, who uh, she plays these Southern African bows. So I definitely wanted to record one track with her and the Malunga player in Siddhi to kind of talk about this relationship between the, the bows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's on the album. It's called Eyes Closed. And that doesn't feature me at all, basically. It's just them <laughs> on the album. Um... After that, I so I got this thing called the Steve Reed Foundation Award uh, in January 2015, and I had the album recorded by pretty much mid February of that year. So then I went into uh, one of these Steve Reed meetings, and it was basically all these heavyweights like Fortet and Floating Points and Giles, and they were all in the room. And I showed, I said that. I'm basically done with this album. It's done. I need it kind of produced. I need some help with it now. And they were really generous with it. You know, they all took time to listen to it and gave me feedback. And uh, Nick uh, Woodmansey, who's Emanative, actually mixed the album. And he was really, really generous with his time and just was a great sounding board. Because it was my first album. And I had, you know, I wanted to make it as, as, as obviously as good as it was, but also just as it just needed to be this kind of cathartic kind of expression of what I wanted to do, regardless of whether it fit into any kind of genre or whether it was commercially, you know, viable. And he was great with that. He just said pretty much everybody, actually, Kieran Hebden, Fortet and Floating Points and Giles, everybody basically said, just make the album you set out to make, you know. And just hearing it from them made all the difference to me, you know, because these are people who I respect and who are, you know, heavyweights in the industry themselves, who are very commercially successful musicians themselves. Mm -hmm. But them telling you to just make the album you want to make is, you know, is a, like an incredible burden was just lifted. I was like, oh, okay, fine, <laughs> they're saying just make what you want to make, fine, I'll do what I want. <laughs> you know, so I suddenly had a lot of faith in myself also. I was like, okay, this is, you know, if they think it's all right, I shouldn't worry about it. And um, so, yeah, from then on, it was, it, we mixed it and then um, sent it over to a lot of people and I think Kieran, uh, Kieran Hebden sent it over to uh, Ninja Tune, and they, you know, and Kieran Hebden sends you something, you you probably should check it out, you know. And I'd sent it them to them, I think I'd sent it to them a couple of weeks ago, and never heard. But uh, <laughs> Kieran sent it to them, and they called me immediately and said like, uh, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to talk to you, basically. And uh, I, I mean, you know, I w I've followed Ninja Tune for a while since I was, you know. I'd never imagined it to be on Intertune. I mean, just, just, <laughs> and it was amazing. And they were they were they were great to me. They have been great to me. They've, uh, I think, the timing of it worked out, and um, they've really treated me really well. You know, there was a lot of early apprehension about signing to a sort of big independent label. 
and people said you should be kind of careful mm-hmm. that you don't just get eaten up into the crowd of you know roots manuva and cinematic orchestra and bonobo but uh, they've been great they gave me a lot of time they you know helped me develop this the artwork for it the person called Joe Dunn who did the he's the in-house designer kind of did the artwork to it which we talked about for a long time um and yeah they they've been they've been great i mean so this whole like ride has been um has been like past any sort of expectations yeah. and well we were in pune just recording this album <laughs> thinking whatever you know and yeah here we are just kind of playing it out so much now it's nearly great. a year later yeah it's yes. great yeah. and uh, again in as you talk about this process there's so many kind of places linked to it mm. um and you know we can't forget the sort of um 20 25 years before you even started thinking about the album obviously um and could you kind of pinpoint particular i mean obviously pune is the obvious one india is the obvious one mm. but sort of before that the kind of really important influences that place sat on you places you mean yeah hmm. um so i think more than i think there are moments in 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 the way my parents also decided to raise me that um, had a significant impact on me so i was born in the us but my parents decided to move back to india which at the time to everyone else seemed like a terrible move like who moves back which immigrants like move back to the country that you came from like this is ridiculous like the families just did not understand why they were moving back but their whole thing was well we want to raise this guy in india and um i mean i'll be incredibly uh, for my whole life like grateful for that cuz mm-hmm. growing up in india changed everything for me you know the reason why i can make this record is because of all that you know cuz growing up playing tabla interacting with you know people seeing i'm mean, just growing up in a third world country like it's just a different perspective and then living here gives you both sides of the coin you know um i went to an incredible school called uh, it was a krishnamurti foundation school j krishnamurti so that place had a huge impact on me purely because of um it was like a 50 acre campus in the middle of chennai in the south of india and uh, in a city big city but there was this there was this huge kind of oasis in the middle of the city and we were small classes about 15 to 20 kids in each class and since i was about 12 to 17 i was there between 12 and 17 and that place really changed a lot for me it really um helped me grow in the sense that it gave me a lot of space to just find my own kind of voice there was no pressure on exams there was no we hardly ever studied for exams as such oh, lucky you. it was great we had a lot of classes outside like like under the trees and stuff ah. it was great it was it was uh, you know it was a u- very very unique experience and um so i think that place really uh, had an impact on me my school but also i grew up before that in a in a city called amdabad uh and on campus of this uh, management institute called Indian Institute of Management which is one of these top MBA schools basically my dad was a professor there for 10 years and i grew up on campus but again about a 100 acre campus in the middle of amdabad so these very kind of quiet safe spaces mm. uh where i would be out till 9 8 9 in the evening with my friends i was about 10 but nobody would be worried about my safety you know it I would just come home whenever 
and just huge fields to play in. Um, played a lot of sports growing up, and um, I think space, just the kind of vastness of it, really helped me explore all these kind of interests at the time. You know, um, and I think that was a very unique sort of experience. And just to kind of filter back a bit. Mm. Do you think that uh, producing music, you need this, you need an attachment to a space or a place to, to produce music, basically? Do you, is, it, is it essential? I think it's essential for people to, everybody has that attachment to something. I think it's essential for people to realize an attachment. I think that's where that inspiration should come from, pretty much. Uh, from From your past, in a way. From your kind of own life, basically. Um, definitely it needs to come from a place that you've you've been at and you understand uh, whether that's a physical space or something that you've been through um, so yeah I think there's definitely that need for a connection I think all the music that I like anyway comes from people who are trying to find a certain connection to their own uh, background and it's an expression of their relationship to something that they um, hold dear to them. Definitely. And yeah. it's the same for me as well as a, as a listener. And, you know, the music that I really enjoy, whether it's, um, you know, it's hip-hop or soul or blues, it all has this very intimate connection with a particular place, mm -hmm. whether it's hip, sort of New York in the 80s yeah. or yeah. Um, London in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. And do you think it's the same with jazz? Do you think jazz has had this sort of always attachment to different places. When I think of, for example, jazz in the 1920s, you mm. think of Duke Ellington in Harlem. Is that is that a thing that's just yeah, stayed I think throughout so. its tradition? Um, I don't know if it stayed throughout because now, given the fact that we're talking also about British jazz so much, and of course there's like, I mean, the influence of a city on the music is, is immense, even in jazz. But I think what, what we tend to call jazz now is when people are using the same processes that are involved in making the music and uh, these ideals of experimentation, these ideals of structure, of equality in the music within a performance, if those are maintained or pushed or those boundaries are pushed, then it's jazz, you know. Sonically speaking, we're not talking about jazz the same way as we did maybe 60 years ago. Which is good, you know. I think what's ultimately important and what jazz is, and the and the the ethics of jazz are of sort of questioning boundaries and questioning rules, you know, in a very kind of anarchic sense. And that happens in different places, in different times. Um, and so, yeah, there's a there's a there's a strong relation to where those boundaries are pushed, and in different cities or in different places there's a certain amount of freedom to push those boundaries. And so that, that obviously influences the kind of music that those cities end up creating. Definitely. And I think with, with certain genres, it's, it's, it's easier to do it. I think with some, you can kind of instantly um, say they're quite localized in the sense that, you know, you immediately associate with a particular place. But with um, certainly jazz, certainly classical music, mm -hmm. certainly hip hop, you really find them everywhere, yeah. Um, and it's it's really in interesting to kind of go and hear it, sort of Polish jazz and well, exactly. Rwandan jazz yeah. and Uruguayan jazz. It's it's really interesting. Absolutely, and like you said with hip hop as well. So this I've been working with some uh, 
Indian hip hop artist from Dharavi, which is the largest slum in India, uh, might be the largest slum in Asia. I'm not sure. It's in Bombay, and uh, <clears throat> these hip hop artists are amazing. These guys who uh, rap in Hindi, Marathi, very English, and um, they've completely taken on. This is subculture of hip hop that exists in the slum, and. Um, they've really owned it and they've really taken it to their own kind of you know they made it their own they're talking about stuff that's real to them and it's incredible i think it's the most fresh music coming out of india at the moment like this kind of indian hip hop it's very urban it makes total sense that it's coming from a slum i mean that's the roots of hip hop anyway mm-hmm. coming from places of you know ஆல்மைசிக்கல்ஸ்ஸும் but free jazz but also with these hip hop artists so it's not it's not a hip hop album but it's definitely with some spoken word and MCs on it from, yeah so people listening to day to day are they going to can they expect a big big shift in the I new hope world? not i mean see i mean there's this is what i do i can't really make it very different because it would it would be a terrible album so i mean the same kind of instrumentation is just that i'm working with a different bunch of people and I'm working with uh, yeah so the idea is to make this album with um that kind of talks about brown identity you know so I'm working with Indian hip hop artists but also I'm working with some South Asian MCs from here so is this kind of um not overtly but there will be a kind of this conversation between what it might mean to be brown in India and diasporic brown you know or just in different parts of the world um and this idea of brown pride it's very strong in in the hip hop to the world of india and here as well you know with the uh, albums like i don't know if you're familiar with but like the sweatshop boys and uh, the riz mc you know riz m so know, these guys doing some really interesting work here as well who are really kind of you know bigging up this idea of them being able to make hip hop and the references are all south asian mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so and it, it kind of connects into a crowd where your south asians have always had to listen to um black MCs like historically sure sure whereas now suddenly there are all these like people talking about you know different things yeah and hip hop is such a good way for them to talk about it oh it's, it's great it's, yeah. I think it's the perfect way in, in terms of musical yeah um, it really kind of puts your voice out there and it's always been about um, at least for me it's always been about identity and kind of self affirmation and understanding who you are um, in the context of where you are um and it's great to see that kind of translated in in the result well. yeah absolutely man and what other kind of um which other artists in india are you kind of listening to any anyone we should be checking out um that mean there's a huge indie scene in india um there's um, a independent music scene we did a really interesting broadcast with worldwide fm like a 6 hour long broadcast in january with giles was there and i was there as well so we kind of hosted this six hour thing in uh, in bombay wow it was epic yeah it was great <laughs> and he left like after an hour and a half so it was just me basically <laughs> i was like i have no idea what i'm doing like, this is like the worst idea i was running this but it was fun it was great we pulled through and um, but we had some amazing artists come through who are kind of you know pioneering this new generation of music and uh, people like sand dunes 
There's this girl who makes very interesting music. She's really cool. Uh, Malfunction is another guy. Um, there's some there's some really cool music. These MCs are worth checking out. You know, there's one crew called the Slum Gods, Slum Gods. who take their name from Slum Dog Millionaire. Ah, and they okay. said this is not what we we want to call ourselves Slum Gods instead of Slum Dogs. <laughs> it's called Slum Gods, and it's they're really cool. There's another crew called Swadeshi Crew. Which is which they rap only in Hindi and 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 other regional languages and they're amazing. Got a chance to work with them. Um, yeah. This is a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, there's really, a lot. Sounds really you know, exciting. Just naming a few, but yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good jazz as well. There's a couple of friends of mine who are making very interesting jazz in India as well. Fantastic. And yeah. are they? Do they have the opportunity to sort of share it to an audience outside? India is it? It's difficult. I think still for Indian artists to tour abroad is is not something that happens enough. I think a lot of them come once a year for a couple of gigs here and there. But um, apart from that, it's been difficult for them to also because there's no real strong record labels in India. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the a lot, lot of the music that comes out of India is all self released or on local small independent record labels. So for them to get the attention of promoters and booking agents in Europe is still very difficult. Um, I think it's a matter of time. There's a couple of people who crack the market who come pretty often. People like Raghu Dixit and, uh, of course, Indian classical musicians have been touring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's a strong uh, case for uh, independent musicians to be touring a lot more. You know, um, they they end up coming once a year for like a special showcase or something, but. That's about it, really, as far as I know, anyway. Um, yeah, I think with the growing scene, it's only a matter of time, really, for that to happen more. That's great to hear. And so when can we expect the new album out? Uh, hopefully before the end of the year, or it might just be pushed to early next year. So still working on it. It's very early days. We're still recording a lot of the music. Um, it's a lot of back and forth this time. It's not. I, I don't think we're going to be able to just knock it out in four days. <laughs> uh, so I did a couple of sessions here at the Red Bull Studio, and then I spent um, about a month in India again in January and February, recording with these uh, hip hop guys and uh, the MCs. And then I'm going to go back to the studio in May, and then go back to India in June and record more of these MCs. Um, so it's a bit of back and forth, but I want to take my time with it and like really really do it well I'm sure so, you will no, I'm sure so you will and so. is it going to be out on Indochine hopefully yeah we're talking to them they're, they're very heavily involved so I showed them some music and they definitely uh, are interested and they want to see what the album ends up sounding like you know uh, before they say they want it probably but I mean they've been very encouraging so it's should be should be cool fantastic Yeah. and you're traveling to the UAE as well. That's right, yeah. That's just been announced uh, a couple of days ago, actually. Um, that's really interesting. I kind of applied for this residency with the British Council and PRS Foundation. And um, it's a residency that's going to last over... So I go to the UAE, primarily Dubai and Abu Dhabi, over 10 to 12 weeks uh, on three separate visits. So I'm going in, like, next week, or a week after, for the first kind of visit, 10 days. Uh, and the idea is to basically network and collaborate with local musicians and create new work that can be then displayed in the year end, in December, or possibly even tour it later. So it'll be just completely new work with uh, local UAE-based artists. And uh, yeah, it'll be something, and I've never spent any time in the UAE. Um, I don't know the scene at all. 
So it'll be a very new experience, but I'm really looking forward to it. Good. Well, f- from a personal standpoint, I lived yeah. in Qatar for two years, right. um, so quite nearby. So I'm quite interested to see. I wasn't I wasn't aware of any scene in Qatar. Obviously, right. they're, they're close by, and yeah. I have family who lived in Dubai, and yeah. I don't think I heard of much. But well, that's why I'm really curious. Yeah, I think there is a scene. There's definitely a scene because I've been in touch with a few people who uh, who are musicians there, and. Uh, it seems like quite an exciting place. Obviously, there's, it's a very transient scene to an extent because people keep coming and don't live there permanently. Um, but it's also a very disparate scene from from this from my very sort of superficial knowledge of it, where there is this club culture and all the concerts happening in hotels mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because those are the only venues that really exist. Um, but then also, like I've been trying to figure out what kind of music exists in the migrant community or with women making music. So all these are questions that I want to try and explore more deeply and hopefully, um, you know, dig deeper. I'll have plenty of time to dig deeper, so there's no excuses. You know, I'm going to go <laughs> and I want to try and spend the first, you know, month just trying to understand the politics of how music's made there and like sure. who makes music and how music's made and, you know, just just understand the area better. And then hopefully, you know, create music with people sort of I get to know there. That'll be fun. It's 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 really nice to hear you doing something like this because I think a lot of people will release their debut album on Ninja Tune and just be like, Okay, yeah. This, you know, it was, we're all good now. But yeah, you know, exactly. you're actually actively looking to not only make more music but make it in different environments. I mean that's the only um inspiration in a way it's always been to work with communities of people who i don't know very well at all whether it's the siddhis or these mcs in india who are, who come from a very different background you know i'm sort of upper middle class brat kind of english speaking school you know and uh, these guys are very different from me so it's mm-hmm. a very different part of the country uh, and the same with the uae i honestly had no uh, you know i don't know anything about the uae really um, so it'd be great to spend time with people and I think that's that's kind of what's always been exciting for me to like work with people who I don't know, try and understand their motivations to make music and try and find some common ground basically. Brilliant. Well, I wish you uh, all the best with that. You've got an f- exciting few months ahead. Yeah, it should be fun. Lack of sleep is basically <laughs> the most yeah pressing problem at the moment but otherwise everything else is fine well it's, 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 it's a seven hour flight to seven hour flight, that's fine. So you can try and t- schedule it based on that yeah exactly um, thank you very much for coming anyway uh, I hope uh, the pod wasn't too hot I'm, no, I think I'm it's, certainly sweating a little bit but. yeah I'm actually alright um, if I were to be yeah another 20 minutes and I <laughs> well I think that's a good side to call it a day then yeah. thanks very much Sir, I think. Oh, my pleasure thanks a lot I can only speak for myself, but I enjoyed that conversation a lot. Let's just say it could have gone on for much, much longer. Thank you, Sarathi, for coming down to the studio. You clearly have a very, very busy schedule, so we really do appreciate it. I learned so much in that hour, and I hope you guys did too. If you haven't heard his music, then I highly recommend you buy it and also look out for any live shows he's doing, as they really are something else. Next week, we have writer Matthew Beaumont with us, who will be telling us how London is a different city at night. Thank you for listening, and see you then.